stories of economic growth, job creation, and business success from across the 11-county community of Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. Now, here's Matt Gabry. If you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. And as inventor, engineer, futurist, and physicist Nikola Tesla suggests in his noted quote, energy is all around us. We often take for granted the access to safe, reliable, and affordable energy that powers our lives every day. From charging our mobile devices, cooking and preparing our food, traveling in cars, buses, and trains, and heating our homes and so much more, energy is a connective force that relies on a complex, collaborative, cooperative, and coordinated system in order to flow where it needs to go. I'm going to be really honest. This is something I tell people sometimes, but not a lot. And that is in 2007, when we started working on our business plan, I didn't know what a kilowatt hour was. As Ben Parvey points out, the average person may not be that familiar with how energy is even measured, though now kilowatts are fundamental to Ben's work as founder and CEO of Blue Sky Power, a company that specializes in connecting clients to clean, reliable energy through innovative infrastructure development. Ben joined us right here on Growing Greater and shared with us how his company is helping to create efficient, sustainable energy operations like microgrids. Here, Ben explains just what that means. So microgrid is an amorphous concept. I mean, you and I could come up with 10 different definitions and we could ask 10 different people in the industry and they would come up with a different concept of what a microgrid is. So generally, though, a distributed generation system, meaning a energy generating device or devices that are interlinked and generally supply more than one load. So meaning go to more than one user or meter. Mm -hmm. So in that microgrid, solar is great, but the sun doesn't shine. On a, on a rainy Philadelphia day like today, there's not a lot of sun shining. There's not a lot of solar being produced. Yep. Sun shines during the day, not at night. So you don't have that load. You can't operate without the grid. But also with battery storage, which is really becoming cost effective and technology is advancing tremendously, is you can store that solar for use at night. When you combine that with a combined heat and power system that's powered by either natural gas or biogas, you then have two different generating sources and you're also generating thermal energy for heat and cooling and you have battery storage, you're able to be completely off the grid and produce your own heating, cooling and electricity as well as operate in parallel with the grid. Gotcha. Once you can do that, though, not only are you creating energy that you can use anytime on site, so you're reliable and you're resilient, but you can also have the most cost-effective energy. So you're producing and utilizing energy when it's the most expensive for the grid at peak times. Mm -hmm. We've had those grid outages mm -hmm. when the grid gets constrained and the power that's being produced on the grid can't get everywhere enough. They ask people to reduce their demand. Yep. You can then get off of the grid, you can store that power for use when it's the cheapest, and then you can use the grid at night. Once everyone's come home, once the lights are all off, you can use the power from the grid at a lower price than you would have otherwise. So microgrid opens up all kinds of possibilities for on-site usage, but it also can balance the larger grid and help the utilities save money too. Help those who aren't even relying on the microgrid. 
Exactly right. Yeah. Well, it leads to grid stabilization. There's trillions of dollars that is needed to upgrade our national grid. So, Ben, tell us a little bit about Blue Sky Power. How do you describe your organization to the average observer? Sure. Blue Sky Power is a clean energy project developer and system owner and operator. We develop solar, cogeneration, efficiency projects, solar and battery storage, and microgrids, predominantly for large commercial and industrial users, colleges, universities, hospitals, and senior living. So folks that use a lot of power a lot of the time. And so with that, we're able to implement clean energy infrastructure projects to bolster energy infrastructure, make it more resilient, but also more sustainable, help people save money and also build a greener planet. It's hard to argue with that. Saving money. (laughs) That's what we think. Greener planet. Right. Yeah. So how long has the team been assembled? We've been in business over 10 years. We uh, were founded in October of 2008. We like to say forged in the fires of the Great Recession. Right. But just about that time, too, people were implementing a lot of the new uh, sustainable and clean energy incentives and states and the federal government were encouraging these types of projects. And we really started to take off after 2009. That's great. So take us back to, I'm not sure, 2006, 2007. I mean, it's not every day that you and a couple colleagues sit around the table and say, hey, let's start an energy company. So how did that happen around your kitchen table? Well, I don't know if it was as much around the kitchen table as the bar down the street. My buddy from law school and I went to uh, have a drink and discuss what we were going to do if we weren't practicing law. And he was an environmental engineer and land use attorney, and I did public finance law. Okay. And when we realized that we could combine that expertise into developing clean energy projects, I was chairing our county environmental commission, had a lot of interest in the subject. And in 2005, the federal government passed the Energy Independence and Security Act, which had in it the Renewable Energy Investment Tax Credit for solar, fuel cells, and other renewables, as well as combined heat and power. So we developed our business model at Wharton Strategic Business Planning classes at the Small Business Development Center, worked on our business plan you know, from 2007 into 2008, and by the summer of 08, we were ready, thought we had a good plan, and pulled the trigger. That 2005 milestone at yeah. the federal level, mm-hmm. if that hadn't happened, do you think you'd be advancing the way you are today at Blue Sky? It certainly was an impetus for the industry and for our country. And it, it's interesting on timing that 2005 ended up you know, happening. And then three years later, the Great Recession happened in 2009, the Recovery and Reinvestment Act. Mm-hmm. So we really had a interweaving of circumstances. So those tax credits were already in place when the recession hit. And so it was a natural, as real estate and other construction and other industries were tanking, that we would start building solar and other energy infrastructure. So I think we may have been at the same point in terms of developing energy infrastructure, but we wouldn't have done as many projects as quickly as we have. Gotcha. So there is a coming together of different kind of uh, assets, I guess, that had to be present in order for you guys to really excel. A confluence of factors that all happened and were not intentional, but interwoven and, and really led to us skyrocketing from 2009 on. So I know you referenced this, Ben, but share with us a little bit more of that business model and the case that you and your team were making for why this technology that your team at Blue Sky Power was looking to introduce would be really beneficial for a company or even for a municipality. So we've done a lot of municipal and school work. In fact, most of the solar work we've done has been at school districts and municipalities. Not to say we haven't done plenty of commercial and industrial, but the business case is pretty straightforward. 
people want to improve their energy infrastructure, a lot of times they have failing energy or you know, meaning failing switch gear, they need new utility connections, they need to upgrade you know, their equipment, meaning heating, cooling, HVAC, boilers, chillers. So we take a holistic approach and go in there and look at all of the possible energy infrastructure they can upgrade, and we'll also fund it. So the business case for them is reduced operating expenses, the avoidance of having to spend a lot of capital on new energy infrastructure, and having budgetary certainty for the long term on both capital and operating expenses. Was there a milestone moment back in 08 or maybe it was even before 08, what I would call your first client? Yeah, our first client was actually a great client, Central Regional School District in Ocean County, New Jersey. And a big shout out to Superintendent Tommy Parlopanides, or Dr. P as we call him, he was a real trailblazer in solar and wanted to do a large-scale solar project, and we did one and a half megawatts for him. And it was one of the first large-scale solar projects done for a school district in New Jersey. And he started, he hired us to do a feasibility study as one of our first clients. You know, they paid us a nominal amount to look at the possibility of doing it, and then we ran it and implemented it. And he's been producing solar for you know almost 10 years now and saving a ton of money. At the time, was Dr. P considered to be a real visionary, or was he considered to be a little bit off? No, he was considered to be a visionary. I mean, his board was a little skeptical at first, but yeah. we showed them the business case. We actually locked up a, a really wonderful renewable energy credit incentive for them with JCP&L, their utility, yeah. which provided a lot of the cash flow for the project. We bid out the project, got them a great price on it, and they locked up their energy price at a very low rate for 15 years. He was considered a trailblazer in that first group of clients we had between you know, the fall of 08 into 2011, 12, mm -hmm. we're still trailblazers. I mean, now it seems commonplace because there's been so much solar done. Right. But even six years ago, there still were not a lot of larger scale projects. So each of those clients that made that decision are one of our best clients, Gloucester Township, the mayor, Dave Mayer, we did for him one of the largest municipally sponsored shared services agreement between the municipality and two school districts and mm. the regional high school for six megawatts across 11 facilities. Right. Still today, a massive solar project, but also he really was a trailblazer then. And that was back in 2011 that we went out to bid for them initially. And I mean, that project saving them almost $5 million over a 15-year period right. of taxpayer money for right. the school districts and the municipality. Then they can use that to invest in other educational initiatives within the school district. That's really great. That actually, that number helps people to appreciate the power, no pun intended, of this kind of technology. Well, and that's why we say we want people to love their energy. Right. You know, if they love their energy, they love their power, it has a double meaning. So I want to talk about ripple effect, because sure. those early risk takers, Dr. P... Mayor, Mayor. Mayor, Mayor, right, in Gloucester. They were the early risk takers. Has that had a ripple effect to encourage other leaders, whether they're in a, you know, a municipal type of environment or in a corporate type of environment or another educational type of environment to say, hey, if they can do it? I think it has. I think at this point where renewables are mainstream, we're not talking about new technology. Certainly efficiencies improve. Even those projects that were done 10 years ago still not new technology. Right. We were in a meeting recently and one of the you know, older architects said after the oil crisis in the late 70s, he said people were putting up solar and solar thermal and their solar on the space station and was on the shuttles and combined heat and power or cogeneration or even microgrids. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily newer. Now, the control systems 
the efficiencies have improved. The data operating systems have allowed us to do tons more than we could ever do. Mm-hmm. And that's what's exciting. Right. Is we are at a point in time where you can do a microgrid of solar, battery storage, cogeneration. You can operate in parallel with the grid. You can be islanded in the grid in the event of a grid failure. And it is a tremendously exciting time to help people have resilient energy infrastructure so they're never without power. And they can also do it economically, where we can save the money on their energy. So now's the time for people to love their energy. On a windy, wintry day, we met up with Ben and his colleague, Chad Hagen, at a site that's part of an energy master plan that they've created with Gloucester Township in Camden County, New Jersey. Now, driving up to the Timber Creek Regional High School, we were a little taken back by the sea of solar panels that rest on the school's front lawn. Now, though it's an easy concept to grasp, you know, the panels absorb the power from the sun. We wanted to ask the expert himself just how these panels actually power the school. So that hum over there is the sound of the inverters. So I said in all, it's about 1.3 megawatts of solar. So essentially the power comes in from the solar panels. So the sun shines down on the panels and then the wires run across into the inverters and then the inverters plug into the transformer which then goes into the electric utilities distribution system. So this goes over to a meter at the school and when they're using all of the power from these solar arrays the meter will spin backwards essentially because they're producing you know all the power they need as well as potentially exporting a little bit and then there are certain times where this isn't producing all the power the school needs like on a really really hot day where they're using some from the utility and some from the solar array so that sound you hear is electricity that's raw power coming from the solar panels and then it's converting direct current into alternating current Ben, you've been talking about microgrids and how the energy sources that are feeding these microgrids, they may be wind, they may be hydroelectric facilities, they may be solar, they may be this thing called combined heat and power system, CHPs, that are all fueling a microgrid and being stored, the energy is being stored in a battery type system and is tapped into when needed, right? So my question in all this is, The work that you and your team are doing at Blue Sky, it's complementing the traditional energy companies that we have. You're not looking to necessarily replace them. Is that fair? That's totally fair. We work very closely with existing utilities. We can operate independently of the existing utilities as well as in concert with existing utilities. And a lot of them have the need and requirement by the states and the the regional grids to reduce electric demand. So they need to and want to work with companies like ours who can help their customers reduce their electric demand and relieve some constraints on the grid. So they really, they like you. I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) They certainly don't dislike you. That's true. And we work very closely. I mean, Pico and PSE&G and Mm -hmm. Atlantic City Electric and Pepco, the greater Exelon companies have all been wonderful to work with. They have great incentive programs. We help their customers who become our customers as well and work very closely with them. To hear how Ben and his team are helping more people love their energy and where the future of clean energy is going, head online for our full conversation. It's at selectgreaterphl.com slash podcast. Next, we connect with the CEO of one of the oldest, largest, and most successful energy distributors in the world. 
But first, let's thank Coral Homes for helping to make our growing greater podcast possible. Coral Homes is a boutique hotel experience like none other, providing customized services and thoughtfully designed travel accommodations. At Coral Homes, guests experience designer living, high-quality comfort, state-of-the-art technology, and 24-7 top-shelf amenities. For authentic and extra-special accommodations, make your next stay in Philadelphia at Coral Homes. For a night, a week, a month, or longer, it's Coral Homes. Learn more at MyCoralHome.com and join me in thanking Coral Homes for believing in us at Select Greater Philadelphia. An electric circuit is, quote, a path in which electrons from a voltage or current source flow. And this next organization, well, they know a thing or two about electric circuits. PJM Interconnection. They're a leader in electric energy that coordinates the distribution of electricity in 13 states and the District of Columbia. The PJM team ensures that electricity fueling their customers' homes and businesses and communities flows efficiently every hour of every day. Andy Ott, he's president and CEO of PJM Interconnection, and here he describes the incredibly important role that the women and men of PJM play in the energy sector. PJM is the largest regional power grid operator in the world. Think of us like the air traffic controller for the power grid. So the owners of the grid, the utilities like Pico, PPNL, they hire us to coordinate the grid on a regional scale. So we essentially do coordination of the transportation of electricity, the generation of electricity, the distribution of electricity. So customers essentially can be able to access grid services, if you will, on a larger scale. And I know there's a really long, proud, and deep history of the organization here in the greater Philadelphia region. Mm -hmm. Does the terminology or the lettering PJM actually stand for anything specific? It does. And in fact, we were birthed here in the Delaware Valley. And the P- Pennsylvania, J, New Jersey, M, Maryland. So essentially some three visionary companies back in 1927 actually got together and said, you know what, if we're going to provide this new thing called electricity to folks, we doing it in a collaborative way or actually make it more reliable on, on a uh, regional basis. And that was sort of the birth of what we called a power pool. And that makes a lot of sense. And that was kind of at the heart of my reference earlier around the ultimate collaborator, because I love the fact that PJM was actually formed around this idea of let's work better together. And how can we do this in a way that makes more sense for everybody? Right. Sharing resources and economies of scale, efficiency, just making services better and cheaper for customers was really the basis for it. And it continues to be the basis. So those deep roots of uh, 1927 founding, your organization has really evolved over time. Share with us your reach today, even though your headquarters still remain here in greater Philadelphia. Exactly. So now we cover 14 states, 65 million people. So we have some of the large cities, Washington, D.C., Chicago, Illinois, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Virginia. So we have quite a reach. And I think the evolution, if you will, of the growth has been all because of economies of scale and the efficiencies. It's all been voluntary. Companies just join voluntarily. So I love the fact that PJM has actually evolved over time and different kinds of organizations have chosen to become part of the PJM kind of system. Share with us how that's evolved over time. Well, again, the industry itself, power industry, has evolved in the sense of we had many of our states, eight of them within uh, our region, had developed uh, competition retail choice. So instead of just having the local power company be your only choice for electricity, you have 
you know, a lot of choice now, over 30, 40, 50 companies in Pennsylvania. So what we started with eight electric utilities. Today we have over a thousand different companies that participate in the PJM regional community. And it's power generators, renewable technologies, wind, solar, alternative technologies like battery companies. You have innovative companies like competitive retail providers. You may get something in the mail that says, I'll give you air points if you buy my electricity, that kind of innovation. So you really, you have banks, you have financial institutions, uh, in addition to distribution utilities. So the scope of our uh, participation has grown just astronomically. And is it fair to say that PJM is a membership organization? Yeah, we are a membership organization, a member-driven organization. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's an energy company. We have a fair number of different types of energy companies, oil companies, gas companies, coal companies, you know, and then folks who also participate as just power companies. So so many different diverse interests. And so it's really a, not only a member driven, but a collaborative, as you say, organization. From dual control rooms filled with data, monitors, maps, and flashing lights, PJM's highly trained and dedicated dispatchers constantly track electricity use throughout the PJM region. Working together as a team, they use the latest tools and technology to track changing conditions and ultimately maintain the flow of power throughout the grid. In this PJM video, we learn more about the vital work their team does to power communities around the country. They've been mastering their craft for decades and have come to appreciate that it takes a working together type of mentality, both inside and outside the company, in order for the energy grid to properly flow powering our lives in ways large and small. Andy, one of the things that really stands out for me when I think about and learn more about PJM and its history is how it ties in well with kind of what we are proud of in the greater Philadelphia region of being a region of firsts. And while I know this is only going back about 22 years or so, in 1997, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission approved PJM as the nation's first fully functioning what's known as ISO, Independent System Operator. I think that's really interesting and really cool. Why was it the first as opposed to another part of the country, if you will? Yeah, well, again, I think the the notion of a power pool, this collaboration between utilities, we were the first in the world in 1927. So what our role being expanded, so we're responsible for reliable operation of the grid, for planning the grid into the future, for operating commercial markets for power. And there was really no other region was equipped to make that leap that quickly because we had already had a history of collaboration across the state boundaries. So for us, it was, a, you know, the step was a medium-sized step as opposed to a huge leap. And I think we got up and running very quickly. And our success story with, you know, I said the astronomical growth mm-hmm. was very rapid. And I suspect that part of the reason that PGM was able to get up and running so quickly is because you've been doing it for so long. Yes, we've been doing it for so long, and our members, the people participating, were used to this notion of, hey, you know, we're going to get together and we're going to do this as a region. Right. And even though we're competitors, which many of our companies compete with each other, it's similar to some of, you know, the airlines, for example, they compete with each other, but when it comes to safe flights and reliable power grids, that's the time to cooperate. Yeah. And then five years later, in 2002, PJM became the nation's first, what's known as fully functioning 
RTO, Regional Transmission Organizations. What's right. the significance of that and also the significance, again, of being first? Yeah, again, well, the significance of being first, again, was being leaders. And yeah. I think not only our members being the leader of the region, frankly, the state of Pennsylvania, the state of Maryland, the state of Ohio, stepping up and being leaders. And I think, you know, whether it be political or business-wise. So the notion of us evolving into an RTO is really the scope and scale of what we were doing came up to that level. So we were no longer just an independent system operator. We were actually a regional transmission operator. So I think that sort of badge of honor, if you will, or that designation came from the federal government, and it was a recognition of our scale. And how about some of the peers within the U.S., certainly, and maybe even around the world? Are there others? If there's a sister organization, the PJM, in the South or in the West, are there similar kinds of structures? Yeah, there are. In fact, very similar in the Midwest. There's one out in California. There's some up in the Northeast. So there are others. There's six other organizations like us. We're the biggest. We're the oldest. But yes, there are others within the U.S. And then outside the U.S., we do, like in Australia, we have a similar organization, Chile. Colombia and some parts of Europe. So yeah, the concept of efficiencies through larger collaboration across regions, countries is becoming more and more of a standard. And I know that there's lots of benefits to this, obviously. Right. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. It would have been something that people saw value in dating back even to 1927. Share with us some of the insights around what some of those benefits are. I know it's you know a lot of it's around planning, and planning for the future is really key. But it's also ensuring that there's a, a steady supply that meets the needs. Exactly. So it is relatively easy from an engineering perspective to plan for what's your growth in power to me and how are you going to increase the transportation capability for power lines, et cetera. The key, though, is if you want to do it economically and you want to do it as reliable as possible, having those collaborative or companies share resources, instead of each company building its own generator, you build one and share it, the concept. So the notion of it's a better way, it's a more efficient way, it's a cheaper way. So what that not only did for customers, but think about the regional economy. If our power is 10% cheaper because of that collaboration, all the industrial customers in the region, all the commercial customers in the region, all the residential customers in the region benefit because the power companies were flexible. And that's really what the basis was. So people looked around and said, my goodness, these people are doing it the right way. And a lot of people copy what we were doing. What's the alternative, Andy? If people didn't participate in this kind of unified collaborative structure, what kind of situation would we be in? So we have something we call the value proposition. You know, Why do we exist? What's the value we provide? We have to earn that every day. $3 billion is essentially the annual savings of having this regional collaboration. So if we took it away, the price of electricity across the region would go up by essentially a factor, you know, 15, 20% translates into about $3 billion a year. So the, the reality check is it would still be reliable. It would still be done. It'd just be more expensive. Right. And that's probably one of the biggest things that the average consumer, the average observer may not even appreciate. Frankly, most of us don't appreciate what PJM does because it's kind of behind the scenes. And we've right. come to a point, I think, in our society where we just kind of take it for granted. You flip on the lights and they go on. But that's not always the case. There are moments in history right. where there have been challenges and have really enhanced the need for a collaborative approach to ensure security. I think there was a, a moment back in uh, probably 10 or 15 years or so right. ago, I remember there were some controlled brownouts. If you could talk a little bit about those experiences and what we've learned from them. So essentially back in that period, in fact, I, I was actually in a power control room at the time. The good news for us was PJM was actually spared. We really didn't go down, if you will, very much, just right on the edge of our system. System. But New York City was black. Most of the state of New York was black. Uh, Michigan was out. Some portions of Ohio were out. So the notion there was, you know, in order for them to get the power back on, 
we actually became their source of startup power. So the notion that we jumped in and said, hey, we're going to exercise our capabilities to help you guys get yourselves back up and running. And that notion of collaboration, cooperation, even though they weren't part of our, if you will, uh, membership. And we have procedures to do that. And we do that to the South. We do it to the West. But if you think about geographic diversity, one thing that we learned as we grew is it doesn't get it hot everywhere at the same time, or it doesn't get you know freezing cold everywhere at the same time. So if Chicago is under a sweltering summer, we might be able to take power from Pennsylvania and send it through Ohio to uh, Chicago. That kind of regional diversity has been something that's been a uh, fantastic benefit to the region. And I think for Pennsylvania, by the way, Pennsylvania is a huge exporter of power, of, of energy, and frankly. Hmm. So that benefits Pennsylvania because they get to sell their power all over uh, regional states. And it really accentuates the importance of being able to collaborate within an industry and across geographies. It makes really perfect sense. Folks, we're talking with Andy Ott. He's president and CEO of PJM Interconnection. And Andy, we were talking about geographic diversity. You had referenced a little bit, and I'd love to dive in more to how the energy sector is evolving. Wind energy, renewables, those kinds of what I think are evolving, if not, I suspect, more evolved than most people appreciate beyond traditional electric generation. Yeah, we are seeing just a tremendous evolution. So, you know, 10 years ago, probably 70% of all the electricity produced in our region was coal-fired generators. Today, about 30% is coal-fired. You got about 30% is nuclear generation. The other 30% is gas. And then the other 10 is this alternative technology, wind, solar, and other types of renewables. And I think what we've seen is this growth. And for us, the growth has been more diverse. So we're actually more diverse than we ever have been. And it's been not only, again, a benefit to this region, but a benefit to the customers themselves, because now they have more choice. We're finding customers care now. They actually care about what the source of their electricity is, which is something that really nobody cared about five, 10 years ago. Because I would suspect the average consumer is more educated, more knowledgeable about the impact of energy generation on the environment. So they, to your point, they want to know, is there energy coming from a solar or a wind source as opposed to a coal or some other source that maybe they're not as comfortable with? That is true. So certainly the state of Pennsylvania was a leader, again, in the, in the notion of allowing customers to make that choice because instead of having the franchise utility be the monopoly for in the only place you could get power now have this capability as a citizen of Pennsylvania to shop around and this notion of you can shop for green power wind power solar power you know other types of combinations so I think that has made customers be more aware and more informed if you will about their choices you had mentioned 10% or so generated through wind and solar. And hydro. And hydro. Mm-hmm. How do you see that evolving over the next, I don't know, 5, 10, 20 years from now, those percentages changing drastically? I think they'll change steadily. Drastic, I don't think you'll see them change like 10% a year. Right. But I do think you're going to see a steady increase in renewable generation. I don't think you're going to see a step change. But I think 10 years from now, you could have 30% of the power being produced by these these types of technologies. I think the notion that offshore wind, so big wind turbines being put offshore is an untapped uh, resource in this part of the world. There's so much more to the PJM interconnection story and other companies that are leading the way in transforming the energy sector. And you can hear them all at selectgreaterphl.com slash podcast. Growing Greater is presented by Select Greater Philadelphia, a council of our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia. 
Select is the business attraction organization for Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania, and helps to grow the economic vibrancy of our collective community by attracting new businesses and new jobs to our region. Special thanks to our program producers, Elena Carmazin and Maricela Juarez, along with the great team of marketing and creative services professionals at our chamber. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in anytime and anywhere you get your podcasts or online at selectgreaterphl.com slash podcast.